everyone, and welcome back to the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. Very special guest today. His first season was in June of 2003 in Cancun, and he was a DJ slash animation. He is from New York. He goes by Wedge. We're going to get it all into how he got that nickname. I'm hoping it's uh, because of Star Wars reference. <laughs> so fingers crossed. So ladies and gentlemen, everyone, please help me give a warm welcome to Wedge. Hey, Wedge, how are you, sir? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. No, I thank you so much for, for reaching out to me. I've been getting a kick of going through your, your TikTok account, sir. It's a lot of good, a lot of good there, but we'll get into that uh, later too. But first, <laughs> we're going to get into your, your, your first season because you know how we do here on the show. I'm interested in where you were living, where you're going to work, where you're going to school. How'd you find about Club Med? If you can take me back in time a little to, to around that point, where you going to school? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Happy to tell you. So basically, I was in college. I was towards my senior year, just kind of wrapping up. And a friend of mine at my part-time job had told me about Club Med. He, he was a GM with his family. And he said to me, you know, he's like, you would be a really good GO. And obviously, I had no idea what that meant. He told me about Club Med. He told me about the DJs that were working there, about the personalities of the GOs, the languages, the locations of Club Med. And I instantly fell in love. And that night I went home. I may have even still had dial-up internet at that point. I'm not sure. But I logged on to clubmed.com. I put in an application. I did a little bit of reading about GOs and how they work and, and how they get hired. And uh, I applied. And next thing I knew, I think I got a phone call from the recruitment office. They said, we're having interviews in your area. It's going to be a Newark airport at one of the local meeting centers or hotels near the airport. So I very wait, wait excuse me, Wedge. Took, excuse me, Wedge. You're, you're glossing over this massive fact that you went to Long Island University and got a degree in criminal justice. So can we talk about that a bit? Because uh, I, yeah. I, I work in a university for 14 years, so I'm kind of interested. And in, you blew it off like it's an English literature literature degree, yeah. which which I'm which I'm currently pursuing. So I could say that. Okay. So uh, what the heck? Why did you? How did you? Yeah. Get interested you know in that? what? Yeah, so I went to college because I'm from Long Island, uh, grew up that way. My parents both went to college. They were first-generation college graduates in their family. So it was very important to them that I went, uh, which I did. I had no intention of using my major whatsoever. I just found criminal justice interesting. I like the mafia, you know, uh, the takedown of the mafia, all the Goodfellas, Godfather-type movies. So I figured I'll, uh, you know, I'll major in criminal justice. I'll learn about that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry. If you weren't going to use it, then why didn't you just get an English literature degree like I'm doing? Oh, right uh, English lit is not my cup of tea. I've, I've never been a big reader unless it's something I'm really, really interested in. So I decided to go for the thing that I found the most interesting so that just like when you, uh, when you do the career that you love, you never work a day in your life. That way, by studying criminal justice, it felt like I wasn't having to study. It felt very easy. And at that time, my focus was really on hustling, making money, you know, uh, figuring out the next step. But I had no intention of being a cop or a lawyer or a public defender or anything like that. I really just kind of wanted to get college done, get it finished, put the degree into the frame and be done with that chapter of my life and figure out what was next. And that's pretty much, pretty much the conversation I was having with my buddy at work one day. His name's Alex. And that's when he said, you know, you'd be a great GO. You want to, you know, move down to the Caribbean and kind of have a little fun for a couple months or a year or two. That's something you would be good at. And that's how I heard about it. Now, this Alex, had he been to uh, Club Med? And if so, which one, which one did yeah. he go to? Do you recall? He is probably still is a GM uh, with his family. He had kids. You know, they're probably grown okay. by now. But yeah, he had been to Turks, Cancun, uh, I want to say, Par was it Paradise Island or Paradise Isle? Uh, Paradise um, Island, yes. Yeah, he had been to that one and probably some of the other ones. You know, this is definitely going back. This is around 2002, 2003. So I don't remember exactly, but I know he was quite, he would frequent the club meds with his family quite often. All right. What was your interview like? Did you, where did you go for it? Yeah, I went to Newark Airport. I think it was a Hilton or a Marriott, and it was in one of the conference rooms. And it was about 30 or 40 people, if I had to guess, two or three Club Med employees, of which one of them was a recruiter, if not all of them. And yeah, I went over there, checked in, met a few of the other people in natural geo fashion. You know, most of us were all shaking hands, meeting each other. Where did you come from? What languages do you speak? You know, where have you lived? All that kind of stuff. 
And yeah, that was the interview. And I'm sure all the geos listening will remember we had to get up in front of the group and perform a talent, a task, tell a story, sing a song, whatever. We had to prove whatever languages we spoke by just having a quick conversation with the geo or the uh, GE or whoever it was that was there. And, you know, then there was just a bunch of team building activities. And I'll never forget getting up there and thinking to myself, I don't know what talent I'm going to do because I'm a DJ and I don't have records or an amplifier or a speaker with me. But, you know, I have a personality. I'll get up there and figure something out. And what I ended up doing turned out to get quite a laugh in the room. I told a true story, and it was a story from my internship uh, when I was in college. So it had only happened a few months prior to the Club Med interview. But basically, the story goes, I was interning doing early childhood intervention for gang activity with children out on, uh, in Long Island, New York. So I would go into a middle school or an elementary school and basically give a little talk with some visual aids. I would teach kids, you know, a little bit about what's going on in society and how to stay involved in sports, stay away from gangs, don't go near guns, don't go near drugs, that kind of stuff. And it was a really fun internship. It was actually through the Boys and Girls Club of America. So I was up in front of a classroom. It was two classrooms that were put into one. So it was about 50 children and maybe five or six adults or chaperones. And I was giving my presentation, and it's the point where I talk about gun safety. And these children who were about five or six years old, I showed them a picture of a gun, and it was a, you know, a visual. And they all raised their hands and say, ooh, ooh, you know, uh, guns are dangerous. Guns are bad, whatever they were saying. At which point I said, okay, everyone settle down. Raise your hand if you have a question. Well, one of the kids raised his hand, and he said, you know, my daddy has a gun, and he says it's okay because he has a license. And I said, exactly, that's correct anyone else. And one of the other people raised their hands, one of the other children, and he said, well, my parents are not police officers and they don't have a license, but they have handcuffs under their bed. Naturally, handcuffs <laughs> under a bed, non-police officers. It got quite a laugh from the adults in the room. The kids had no idea. And I'm sitting there thinking, you just outed your parents as kinky, whatever the word may be. Yeah, so we all yeah, had a good or... laugh. Okay. <laughs> I, I embellished, I, I took that story I embellished it just a little, little bit with a couple of, you know, the kids were this and uh, the parents burst out laughing on the floor. And I told that story in front of all these potential geos and at my club med interview, at which point it had the whole room laughing on the floor. The, the person from club med, the rep that was there was laughing. And I said, yeah, it's a true story. This is the kind of stuff that happens in my life. And I could tell from the smile on her face, she was like, oh, this guy's good. And when I went up to do my language preparation or language uh, proficiency, I speak Spanish. I kind of pretty much always have since my teenage years, had a quick conversation with her in Spanish and, um, you know, met some other people. And within three or four hours before I knew it, I was back in my car on my way home feeling very, very confident about uh, having had a good interview. Now, from the time you had the interview to the call, what was it, days, weeks, months? Yeah, it was about three weeks from the interview until I received my first offer. The first offer was a non-contractual position in Turks and Caicos. It was a, uh, what did we call them back then? Oh, 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 a Club Med artist. Oh, a Club Med artist. Club okay. Med artist, I think it was. So they offered me a Club Med artist position. And in true fashion, my Jewish mother from Long Island, New York, said, David, if it doesn't have medical insurance, you're not allowed to go. Now, mind you, I'm 22 or 23 years old at this point. Mom's opinion, it still weighs heavily on me, but I can do what I want. I agreed with her after a little time, a little talking it out. And about, I declined that position. And I said, please call me back when you have a contract position that includes medical care and you know the basic stuff, more than a club med artist. And that was only another three weeks later or so that I got the call that I was going to Cancun. And it was Boy, I think I had maybe eight or nine days to get myself together, say goodbye to everybody and be on my way. So I packed everything up, got all my CDs, records, clothing, went out and bought a bunch of new stuff clothing wise. And from there, you know, a week later, I had a going away party and I was at JFK Airport saying goodbye to my parents uh, with a one way ticket to Cancun. And I just remember thinking this, this can't be real. There's no way someone's paying me or paying for me to go to Cancun to play music 
and live on the beach. And, you know, albeit it was real. And, you know, next thing I knew, I was on that plane heading out. What do you remember about arriving your, your first day? Is it hazy? Vivid as can be. And I'll tell you why. I left the, I went through customs at the Cancun airport, got into a van. There was a van waiting because it was, you know, not a charter arrival from coming from New York. And I'll never forget getting out of the van. And there were only one or two geos there to welcome me because we were doing village village, which I'm sure all the geos will laugh when they hear that. But, you know, there were two geos who greeted me. I said, hey, I'm the new DJ. And as I'm hopping out of this van, the heat of Cancun in June or July hit me. It was must have been 110 Fahrenheit, you know, easily 40 Celsius. The humidity was off the charts, and I just immediately started dripping sweat. And I almost said, take me back to the airport. I was just appalled by this heat and humidity. And I saw the palm trees, and the two geos who met me were super sweet. And, you know, there was the front desk and all these happy, shining, smiling faces. And I'll just, I was like, you know what? I'll be okay. I've been through worse things than this. It's just heat. At which point the current DJ who was leaving came over to greet me. You know, we said a quick hello. He got me a golf cart. We went to my room and, you know, kind of got me checked in and settled in. I took a quick shower. And before I knew it, it was time to, you know, it was 6.30 p.m. time to go to the bar and walk around in my new clothing with my new uh, name badge that was all set up by Caesar. And all the geos came up to me one at a time. Excuse me, I get a little choked up when I talk about it. But they were all so welcoming. Just, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? Uh, you know, what's going on in the outside world? We're all living here in this little Cancun bubble. I was like, oh, well, you know, the Yankees are having a good season. You know, I'm from New York. I speak Spanish, if that helps anybody. And uh, where can I get a drink? Because this is really intimidating. And they were just so sweet. Everybody was so wonderful on that first day. Did you meet your chief of village that day? Yeah, I did. It was Gus. Gus from Australia. I probably met him later on in the evening. I didn't, he was not there for my arrival. Uh, but I met Gus, you know, Australian guy with a delightful accent. His dog was there. He just came right up when we were, I think we were at the bar in Cancun. And he came up and said, welcome. I heard you were coming. You know, welcome to our village. I'm Gus. He gave a really nice introduction. And he was there for my first two or three months before he got transferred somewhere else. But we did build a little bit of a rapport in that time. And I have nothing but amazing things to say about Gus. He's a great guy. And uh, you said you were DJ animation. So when you weren't DJing, were you just helping out the animation department? Exactly. So some of my other tasks would have been changing the set and all the props for the show that was going to take place that night, adjusting or altering the lighting in the theater, Running the the pre-recorded soundtrack, I would run those soundtracks for the, what did we call it? The new guest arrival meeting or the village meeting. I forget. Yeah, like an, infor- it, well, like an infor- information meeting. It, that was it. The information meeting. So I would go into the sound booth in the theater and play that throughout the village. I would DJ the water aerobics or I would DJ or mix the music for later on that night in the show. I, I very much, I split the tasks with the audio Wait, uh, engineer, the hold, lighting hold, engineer. Hold up, hold yep. up, David. Are you saying, okay, I've never, yeah, I did water aerobics for 10 years. Are you saying you DJed water aerobics? Does this mean you're doing something live? You know what? No. I, okay. What I was actually doing, so water aerobics were going on in the pool, and I would be sitting in the, D, in the audio booth in the theater, but I'd be playing the music out to the pool, but it was all pre-recorded. We kind of had like, five soundtracks that we would just alter throughout the week. Now, that does bring me to a quick, interesting point, though. I did live DJing out on the beach. About once a week, we had what we called the techno shower. And I would wheel out a mobile DJ unit, and a bunch of the geos would be out there. We'd go out on the beach and just get everybody in a little circle and just play tons of techno music as loud as we could in the middle of the day. And so that was live DJing outside. Okay. Do you have any uh, like club bed culture shock stories or any funny stories from your first season, first season faux pas, blunders you made, any kind of mistakes, interesting story? Give it to me. Yes, all of the above. Oh boy. From From the interesting to the blunders to the days off. I'll just run through a couple of them. Okay. Uh, like I mentioned, the heat, the heat was definitely one of the things I had to get adjusted to. So for three weeks, I walked around covered in sweat. So that is what it is. Culture shock, you know, you're in this bubble for like the first month because I didn't know downtown Cancun yet. 
So when I finally did venture out, all I was craving was a McDonald's cheeseburger and some McNuggets. So a friend of mine, maybe I didn't know. Actually, I think I did it on my own. I took the bus from outside of Club Med and I went to Plaza Las Americas and Walmart and all that. And I found inside the Walmart a, uh, a McDonald's and I must have spent $35 on food at McDonald's. I ordered almost one of everything. I was just craving it because the food at Club Med is amazing, but you do get tired of it. And I know every other geo will agree with me that when it's Italian night or Mexican night or Provencal for the 30th time, you're just like, oh, I cannot eat this chicken anymore. I'm done with it. So the culture part, yeah, that was a little shocking, the food. So I definitely craved my McDonald's. Obtaining internet was always interesting. I had to go downtown to, a, to like an office with my laptop and get set up for a dial-up modem. So I was able to download music and communicate with people from my room versus having to go to the computer room, the computer lab that was pretty far away from where we lived. Let's see, other culture shocks and such. I would say the fact that we had a couple of storms come through, uh, you know, board up your windows, everyone stay safe. You know, we're shutting down the village for a day or two. I think being up, being awake into the late hours of the night, being a DJ, and then still having responsibilities the next day, that was a little bit of a shock, you know, because it was five or six nights a week of being awake until two to six in the morning and then having to report for work around, you know, 11 a.m. That was a little bit of a challenge. So a lot of times my days off were just spent in my room sleeping, ordering Domino's pizza or going out to McDonald's. That was for the first season. Second season, I got a little more adventurous in Cancun and I started renting cars. I started having friends come to visit me from the States. Uh, I would rent a car and drive to Tulum or drive to Playa del Carmen. What else? I even took uh, like a nine day vacation, I guess you could say, in the second season where I got to go to Montreal and go back to New York and eat pizza. But then I knew that my life was in Cancun. So I eventually returned. Boy, overall, like I said, as crazy as the memories are of the food, and the heat and the work. I have nothing but amazing things to say because I had such a great time down there. Was it during your first season you, you got the nickname Wedge? And if so, please say it's a Star Wars reference or you're going to crush me. Okay, okay. Go ahead, go, 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 go ahead cr crush me. Okay. <laughs> yes, let me crush you. I am not into Star Wars and it is not a Star Wars reference. <laughs> Damn it. And not only that, it's not even spelled the way you think it's spelled. Oh, really? Um, okay. It, uh, yeah. So about two years prior to Club Med, I was already DJing in New York City. And for the first time, the promoter of the club asked me for my DJ name. And DJ Dave was just too weak. It's like, you know, Bozo the Clown. So <laughs> I needed to come up with something original because he wanted to put me on the marquee of the club. And I was like, whoa, my name is going to be in light. But, you know, even if only five people show up, it's a picture I can take for my mom. Well, I said DJ Wedge, W-E-J. And he's like, oh, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. By the way, what does it stand for? I said, honestly, it's the word Jew spelled backwards. I'm Jewish. There's not <laughs> a lot of Jewish DJs. I'm DJ Wedge. And he had a laugh and it was DJ Wedge from then on. Okay. Wow. Okay. No, damn it. Not what I was guessing at all. Okay. And I spelled it wrong. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, you're probably the only DJ Wedge in the world, I'm guessing, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure I am. Uh, I once had someone send me, uh, a, I think it was a poster or an advertisement from Germany where someone had the same name. But yeah, DJ Wedge, which is great in English, but it didn't translate to any of the foreign language speakers, the French or the Spanish, because to them it read DJ Wedge, almost like, uh, you know, it ends in a CH. So I told them, no, 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 je suis juif, I am Jewish, you know, or yo soy judeo, I am Jewish in Spanish. And I would say, this is an abbreviation for Jewish. And they would say, oh, okay, we get it now. It's funny. Uh, the Americans, of course, loved it, especially when they would look really hard at my name tag and figure it out for themselves. Okay. Now, am I correct in thinking, so you spent a, an entire year at Cancun? Is that right? Two seasons? Correct. Yeah, exactly. I was there for two seasons. I entered in probably about a month into the first season. So I probably did about 10 or 11 months in Cancun. So almost the full two seasons. Uh, it's just the way it worked with the DJ who was departing. Uh, yeah, finished up my second season there. And if you want, I can continue on to where I went from there. But uh, well, no, no, I, yeah, but yeah, yeah, no, I still have more questions. So um, I guess as a DJ in New York before Club Med, because uh, we're, we're getting to the point where you have to work on New Year's Eve. So I'm assuming you've worked 
New Year's Eve before in various clubs, right? Before Club Med? That is correct. I had many very lucrative New Year's Eve in New York City. Uh, forgive me if I haven't asked you, but like how long, like when did you start uh, DJing and like, was it an itch or you just knew you could do it? Like how, how old were you when you knew you could? Yeah, it? that's actually, that's another fun story. It was actually my 21st birthday. So that would have been the year 2000 when I was in a bar with all of my friends celebrating. We were having some drinks and I needed a little break from, you know, taking shots and dancing and whatever else we were doing that night. And we were in this bar in New York City called The Black Sheep. And I sat down at the bar just to take a quick break. And this stranger who was sitting next to me said, hey, buddy, you know, I saw you on the dance floor. Happy birthday. Uh, you know, congratulations. I said, thank you very much. Uh, and we thought we could just got to, oh, it was, he was actually the DJ. That's what it was. So we were talking at the bar and he had the music on auto, you know, autopilot. And I said, oh, thank you for playing our songs. And, you know, I appreciate it. Thanks for the happy birthday wishes. And uh, we started talking about DJing. And I said, yeah, I have a little setup in my basement. You know, I have an amplifier, a little mixer. It's just something I bought at a going out of business sale at a, an electronics store. And I just started messing around with it. He said, well, I'll be honest with you. I can't work at this bar tomorrow night. I need someone to fill in for me desperately. Do you have any interest in DJing here at this bar tomorrow night, you know, the day after your 21st birthday? I said, absolutely, yes. Here's my number. Call me tomorrow. And he did. He called me the next day. I ended up DJing in his place the next night. So this would have been September 2nd of 2000, of 2000. And I did such a good job, apparently, that they fired him and hired me. And as guilty as I felt about it, you know, he said, it's okay. I didn't like the gig anyway. So I ended up DJing there uh, in this bar, at which point I got poached by another bar called the Joshua Tree, uh, also in New York City. That's in Midtown Manhattan. And I DJed there. And there was really no secret to it, aside from the fact that my job was to make people dance. So people would always say, what kind of music do you play? I'd say, whatever keeps people dancing, because then the bar, the bar makes more money and the owner hires me back and gives me a raise. So, you know, I was definitely doing it for the money, but I was in college and that's how I was paying for it. So I ended up making a little bit of a career out of it for about three years in New York City. And that's when, you know, those three years later is when Club Med was on my radar. And when I thought about what position I would apply for, DJ was the only thing that came to mind because I didn't feel like working at a front desk. I had done that before. You know, I certainly wasn't in it for any kind of wind sailing or surfing because those are not my skill set. But when I saw that they had a DJ position, that's why I applied for. So I had the experience. I got it uh, right here in New York City. And it translated very well down to Club Med because I played a lot of dance music, a lot of 80s music, anything that gets people up dancing, you know, Come On Eileen, Sweet Home Alabama, whatever it is that's going to make people feel good is what I would play. And that kind of led uh, yeah, to a brief DJ career that lasted from around 2000 to about 2005, because even after Club Med, I kept DJing for a little bit. Okay, I have another DJ question. Now, I've known a few uh, DJs, and a lot of them I would describe as mercurial. So I'm just curious how you would handle, because we all know how DJs what they think of requests from party goers or guests. Mm. So how did you handle re request uh, outside of Club Med and inside of Club Med? Did you have to be more, That's um, I guess the word is more pliable inside uh, Club Med when a GM asks you to play something you don't want to play or how did you handle it? <laughs> okay, so I'll start with outside of Club Med. About a year into DJing, I had a really nice resident gig where I was working every Thursday, Friday and Saturday night, about five hours a night and making great money. And the requests were getting a little bit annoying. It was becoming a hassle to the point where I couldn't focus on my job. Well, the universe, God, Buddha, whatever you believe in, sends me this angel in the form of a 300-pound Russian man. And his name is Yuri. And he's still my best friend to this day. And he came in and he said, why are you playing this Dave Matthews whatever in a <laughs> bar like this? I said, honestly, it was because somebody requested it. He says, I'm going to tell you what. And this is in his New York, Brooklyn accent. Like, I'm going to tell you what, all the requests that you take from now on, they go through me. If I don't like the song, you don't play the song. You understand? I said, Yuri, you would be a godsend if you could filter these people for me and just keep them <laughs> off my back. Well, next thing I know, Yuri is working for me, both filtering requests. I would take him on the road with me when I would DJ in other cities like Philadelphia, Connecticut, the cities in Connecticut upstate New York, whatever kind of gig I was doing, he would come with me and help me carry the speakers and carry the records. And then he would do the requests. And then he would help me break down. 
And to this day, you know, 20 something years later, we are still best, best buddies. And we, we laugh about those days. So whenever somebody would come up and say, play, you know, some slow song, whatever it may be, you know, crash into me, Dave Matthews, he would say, Hey, you want to kill the boot in here? Or do you want these beautiful girls here to start dancing on the bar? So he would put it that way. He's a very diplomatic guy. <laughs> As for. Yeah. Did you have a Yuri? Bed, did you have a Yuri in Cancun? <laughs> quite the opposite. I had okay. no Yuri. <laughs> I had, I did have a nice DJ booth with a door, but I kept the door half open most of the time. You know, I wanted to be in the party. I got to hear what's going on. So as people would come up, I would say I was much, much more cordial in Club Med. I knew what, exactly what our job is. You know, we are there to make the guests have an experience. So I was definitely much more cordial. I learned a lot from Yuri about communication. So when people came up with an offbeat, off-kilter request, I said, hey, you know, that song doesn't really go with the set I'm in right now. But as soon as I slow it down a little bit, I will totally work it in for you. And honestly, they were all so drunk. They didn't even remember 10 minutes later. So it usually didn't matter. Could you, could um, you, could you work in Nickelback into a set like that? The wedge? I, I can work. So that's the trick of being a DJ. If you're good, <laughs> you can work any song into any set and you can make it work. It's all about beats per minute. So you need to speed up your Nickelback song, slow down your, hip-hop song whatever match the beat so they at least kind of go with each other and then you know whatever happens after that happens after that it's ultimately i'm the captain of that disco so if i decide to do that nickelback transition and everyone leaves the dance floor to go get a drink oh well i guess that's on me i should have waited longer but yes it can be done okay poor nickelback all right let's move on to yeah. uh to turks 2004 so was this a village that you requested did you get a dream sheet at the end of your uh, first year in cancun how did that happen uh, turks? You, you know what i actually got i got more of a verbal it, it was really weird it was late at night it was in the disco while i was djing and it was hendel Again, nothing but the greatest things to say about Hendel Duplessis of Montreal. He was my last chief of village in Cancun. And he pulled me aside in the disco and, you know, it was pretty late at night. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know, I just got off the phone with Alessandro in Turks and Caicos and they're going to need a DJ. Would you like to go there? I instinctively just said, that sounds amazing. Yes. Can I go home first? Can I go to New York? He's like, I think he needs you right away. I think I managed to squeeze like five days and a plane ticket out of them. So I was able to come back to New York, say hi to mom and dad, do some laundry, grab a few possessions. And I was back on the plane. And before I knew it, I was in Turks and Caicos with Alessandro. I was not offered a dream sheet, nor was I offered any other villages. But I think based on my attitude, position I was in as DJ, just my overall demeanor, I don't think anybody wanted me to be around a family village. Kids are not my forte. I just like a much more adult-only environment. And I think they sensed that already. So yeah, he said, do you want to go to Turks and Caicos? Adults only. Alessandro is a great chef de village. There's a lot of good people there. Actually, I already knew people that were, had already transferred from Cancun. So what, when I walked into Turks and Caicos, before I knew it, I already had instantly five friends that I, I had already worked with in Cancun. Oh, nice. Do you have any JoJo stories yeah. from, uh, from Turks? Did you get to see the dolphin or no? You know, if you don't have a JoJo story, did you even really go to Turks and Caicos? That's my question. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I have. So this is a fun one. We, as GOs, we had a cool little group of people from all different, all different parts of the village, all GOs, that had the same day off. I think it was Tuesdays I took off. Uh, we had the head of housekeeping, one or uh, two of the chefs, the sous chefs in the kitchen, a couple of the land sports, water sports, whatever guys. And we would all get together. And one day we had the idea, let's all pool our drink tickets. Cause this is when we were, you know, on the ticket system, not the bead. So we all saved up our books of tickets and we probably got to like 10 or 15 books, whatever number it was. And we pulled them all together. We went to the bar and we said, we will take two cases of Corona, 48 bottles of Corona. And the bartenders knew it was coming. We told them exactly what we're doing. We counted it all out. Boom, we were in business. We took these 48 bottles of Corona down to the beach and we just sat there being as lazy as we could. And it was like a 90 degree day. So every 20, 30 minutes, we would all go jump in the water. Then we'd go back and drink a beer, then back in the water. Well, we're sitting in the shallow part of the beach. It's pretty shallow at Turks. So we're just kind of all sitting, sitting upright, drinking a beer, letting the water splash on us. At which point I turned around and I see the fin. Of course, I immediately think it's a shark fin. You know, I'm like, I don't know these waters. And I said, oh my God, look out. And it was, oh, I can't remember her name, 
but it was one of the young ladies I was working with. I think she was in the restaurant. I think she was one of the hostesses maybe. And Jojo pokes his beak, I guess we'll call it, right up on her lap, essentially started gyrating on her. I don't know, it, let's just say it was moderately aggressive, but in no way was it attack. It was definitely from a place of love. So we all kind of gave Jojo a quick pat on the head, also a little bit of a push, you know, kind of like back up because A, Jojo was getting too close to the land and B, was being a little bit aggressive with this girl. And uh, yeah, so that was my Jojo story. I saw him, he popped right up to us. Our encounter lasted maybe 30 seconds. Uh, I wish I had a camera back then. I would have grabbed a picture, but this was in 2004 was my Jojo experience. And yeah, it was fantastic. It's, it's a memory of one of the best days off I ever had because I was with all my friends. We were drinking as many beers as we wanted. Jojo was there. It was 90 degrees. And as everyone who's been to Turks knows, the water was just perfect, crystal blue, clear, you know, amazing. It was just the epitome of living the dream. Wow, that is a great story. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for that one. Now, would it, was uh, Kevin Bat also a chief of yours in Turks, or was that in Cancun? Uh, no, Kevin Bat was temporary chief of village in Cancun. So I, I, if I recall, I think Gus left after a couple months, and I don't think they had a replacement ready at, the, at that point. Okay. And that's when they brought in Kevin Bat and, oh, I forget his name, but it was a French chief of village we had briefly also. I forget his name, but he was there. And then eventually it settled with, uh, with Hendel. Did you like Turks? I did like Turks. Obviously very different from Cancun. Uh, you know, it's island life. I was there in 2004. The roads were underdeveloped. There were no chain restaurants of any kind. There was a KFC that had been long out of business. Uh, you know, the airport had, I think, two gates, maybe three gates and only parking for a couple airplanes. The village was pretty big and had a beautiful stretch of beach, but it was still small. And, you know, me being from New York, it was definitely culture shock. You know, now I'm in the Caribbean on island time, living in this village away from any major city. Everything is being imported except for conch, you know, the seafood. So it was a little bit weird. I, had ama- I have amazing memories down there. The work, the people, the beach, the club med, everything there was amazing. It was just a bit of a culture shock at first. I have since been back. I went to Turks about, about four years ago. I actually had this great opportunity. I was offered a free private jet from Fort Lauderdale, Florida to Turks and Caicos. And instinct, instinctively, my answer was, yes, I will take that jet. So uh, I went down there. I actually just showed up unannounced at Club Med. Uh, and this is, you know, what, 16, 17 years after my tenure over there. And I showed up at the front desk and I said, I hope you have room. I'm an XGO. I'm very happy to pay full retail. I just, I love this place. I just want to stay here for two nights. And they totally set me up with a room. They even gave me half off the second night. And it was a very different experience as a geo. The island was more developed. They had more roads, more infrastructure. It's still an island, but it was just more built up. The village had gotten a fresh coat of paint. Uh, you know, one or two little redesigned rooms. Uh, they, they developed the indoor disco there at Turks. They had an indoor and an outdoor disco. Yeah, it was really cool. And honestly, I would love to go back there again very soon as well. Okay. I'm glad you brought up the uh, private jet part because I want to transition a little. We'll go back to Club Med near the end because um, I'd like to talk sure. about what you're currently doing. So you, sure. would say, you would say you are a private jet consultant of sorts, uh, because I understand it, you used to use a jet sharing app, correct? That is correct. So I was a very early adopter of a program called Jet Smarter. And Jet Smarter is, well, it was anyway, it was an app. So it was a piece of technology. And basically what that did was it took people that had the app and paid for the service and put them together on the same schedule so they could share the cost of a private jet. A private jet from, let's just say, Los Angeles to New York City, these days it's a little bit expensive. Let's say it's about $50,000 one way. Well, obviously that's a ridiculous amount of money. That's a salary and that's a ridiculous thing to spend. But if 12 people, or in this case, thousands of people, put in a smaller amount of money and then essentially shared the cost of this jet through their membership, you could get on a jet and just pay for one seat. So that's what I would do is I would go onto the app And I would figure out which flights worked with my business schedule, which flights worked with my personal schedule. And that's how I would get across the country. Now, in full disclosure, I paid 
over three years, I probably paid about $100,000 in fees. And I, my return on investment was almost $10 million in jet hours. Now, those jet hours, that time I was on the jet, I was with usually between five and 11 other people because most of the jets are six or 12 seaters. Those other members, those other 11 people on the jet were Trevor Noah, Whoopi Goldberg, CEOs of Twitter, Imager, let's Alec, see. Oh, Alex, uh, Alex Rodriguez? Star. Yeah, because you're- No, no I, you know, it's funny you say that. No, okay. Al, I oh. met Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> I had just gotten, I was getting onto a helicopter in East Hampton and Alex oh. Rodriguez had just gotten off of his jet and I ran into him there. Okay. <laughs> but speaking of, the, speaking of the Yankees though, I did take a jet across the country with Giancarlo Stanton the day after he won the MVP award or the rookie of the year, whichever one it was. And I'll never forget sitting on the jet while this baseball superstar is across from me sleeping and he was clutching his backpack in front of him. And I thought it was so weird until I Googled him later on and I realized he was clutching his MVP award that was in his backpack. So that was pretty cool. That was a fun experience. <laughs> yes, your uh, one of your most viewed uh, videos on on TikTok is is the uh, the celebrities you encounter. Because I was going to ask you in Club Med, but I noticed outside Club Med you encountered far far more celebrities than anyone. And you know you have about almost twenty nine thousand views just on that one video of the the people you encountered on on JetSmart, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, I, thank you for telling me. I almost forgot about that video. One day I was just going through my phone and I realized I have all these celebrity pictures and I only put up some of them, you know, and then I put them all into a file. And then one day I decided to make a TikTok out of it. Like, oh, all the awesome people I've met. And yeah, Alex Rodriguez, I met him at the private airport at the, you know, the smaller general aviation airport. And then, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, who's an awesome person, but also very controversial. I put her in it. And then Cuba Gooding Jr., another controversial person, uh, you know, he definitely has a little bit of a rough backstory for sure. And when I remembered that, I kind of was like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have posted him. You know, he had a lot of complaints against him. But overall, 99% of the people I met were salt of the earth, awesome people, some celebrities, some millionaires, you know, multimillionaires. And then other people were just like me, you know, just, you know, working for a living, had a couple extra bucks and they love aviation. So anytime I could take the private jet or utilize my membership to go anywhere, I would. And if I couldn't, I would just take Delta, you know, and sit in the back like a normal person or hope to get upgraded to first class. And the image it gave off, you know, I was showing it all on Instagram. The image it gave off is that I was this billionaire traveler. And I was very authentic and very honest with everyone in saying, no, 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 no. I'm on Jet Smarter. Anyone can do this. Anyone with a couple dollars can, can jump on a private jet and travel. So, yeah, I ended up doing that for about four years. The company eventually was sold for debt to someone they owed money to. It's now uh, under the name ExoJet. And unfortunately, the programs are not as free-flowing as they used to be. The first three years were very much a pilot program, no pun intended, but it was a pilot program to see how it works. And in the end, it lost money for many, many reasons. So they didn't continue it that way. But the service lives on if you don't mind paying full price or close to full price, or even just a more expensive price, like $5,000 for a one-way seat across the country. That's not bad, but also for $2,500, you could fly on United or Delta and, you know, be laying flat in, a, in your own little pod. So, you know, it was a really amazing experience. And I credit the fact that I got into it at the right time with the fact that I had such an amazing experience over all those years. All right. I have another, just another question about one of your videos. If you can just briefly explain, because there was a few people that I knew that had seen this video. You, uh, and if you can just briefly explain what you did, you went to Naples to try a sandwich, correct? Naples, Italy, not Florida. You went to Napoli, Italy to try a sandwich, right? That is 100% accurate. So we're all fans of TikTok, you know, it doesn't matter your age. I was actually an early adopter of TikTok as well. And one of my favorite accounts was, I think his name is Donato, D-O-N-A-T-O. And he's an Italian worker at a deli in Naples, Italy. And he would just set up his phone and make a video of every sandwich that he would make. And he would post it on TikTok. And he would narrate in Italian what he was making. And the one thing that made me fall in love with this TikTok account was the simplicity of the sandwiches. I love food, but I think sometimes we get, we make things so convoluted in this country. We do a double bacon cheeseburger with an egg and foie gras and you know, six layers of peanut butter and jelly. It's just so much that you can't distinguish all those flavors at once. This guy was just taking 
the best buffalo mozzarella that he had and some mortadella and maybe a strip of prosciutto and then putting a little bit of pistachio flakes on top. And he was putting it between this amazing fresh bread that was all crunchy on the outside, soft on the inside and putting it in a piece of paper and handing it to the person. And I loved the simplicity of it. I could like almost taste the sandwich. So I said to my current primary partner, code for my main girlfriend, and we can always touch on that later. Uh, she's a flight attendant. And I said, hey, you got to watch these videos. We need to go eat these sandwiches. This guy has got something special going on with how simple they are. He scoops out the bread. He just, there's so much love in his food. I need to try this. Well, not even 48 hours later, she said to me, hey, you said you wanted to go to Naples, right? I said, yes, I have to have the sandwich. She said, well, I, I just traded my Athens, Greece for a Naples, Italy. We're going to, to Naples tomorrow night. I said, perfect. You know, sign me up. She knew my schedule already. So that night, the night came, we hopped in the, uh, on the train, went to Newark airport. I fly standby because I'm listed as her primary partner. So there were 10 seats open. Uh, I hopped on the plane in one of those empty seats. Mind you, this is free. It's one of the best benefits of dating a flight attendant. And I went to Naples, Italy. We landed there. One of the nice things of traveling with the crew is the captain usually walks me with the crew up to the front of the passport line. So breeze through passport security in maybe 30 seconds. Uh, we hopped into the cruise shuttle, which is one of those Mercedes Sprinter vans. So you have three pilots and like nine flight attendants all in their uniform. And then there's Dave Wedge walking out in you know jeans and a t-shirt, hitting a vape as I walk out of the airport. We hopped in the Sprinter van. We went to the hotel, quick shower. You know, this is the morning now. And it was about 9 a.m. And as soon as we were out of the shower, Courtney, the flight attendant and I, immediately went to this deli. And I said, I cannot wait a minute more to eat this sandwich. I've been fasting for 12 hours on this flight. All I need is a sandwich. So surely enough, we walked in. There was a strong language barrier. I speak Spanish, decent French. They only spoke Italian. But between all of us, we got the point across. I said, you know, uh, yo sono aquí por TikTok. I'm here because of TikTok or something like that. And when I said TikTok, Instagram, everyone behind the counter immediately took note and they knew exactly what I was talking about. I said uh, one caprese sandwich and one mortadella with buffalo mozzarella, or maybe it was, oh, it was burrata and I, for, oh, and pistachio chips. And that's what I wanted. So we ordered those two sandwiches. Uh, the flight attendant and I, we sat right in the front of the deli and just ate them right there. I said, wait, wait, I need to pay you. Yo pago, yo pago. He says, no, 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 you pay me after. I said, oh, you guys are too sweet. Well, I went in, I paid them after. And a very customary thing for people like me to do, and when I say people like me, I mean passengers uh, who are traveling with, their, with a flight attendant or with a pilot, it's very customary to bring gifts for the crew or gifts for people in other countries. So I had brought a couple little boxes of Oreo cookies, and I brought them to the deli, and I handed I said, regalo, as in gift. I said, this is a gift for you from America. And I gave them a bunch of Oreo cookies. And they almost like looked at the Oreo cookies and they didn't know what I was telling them. They just looked and they handed it back to me. I said, no, 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 this is a gift for you from America. And then immediately they were so gracious. Oh, thank you, thank you, grazie mille. I said, no, 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 grazie mille a tutti for the sandwich. And uh, they were very appreciative. And in the end, the sandwiches completely lived up to the hype. I give it like a nine out of 10. The flavors were perfect. The bread was perfect. The guys were so nice. Yeah, that was the story of going there just for the sandwich. And then uh, Courtney, my flight attendant, and I spent the rest of the day walking around Naples. We ate probably another six meals. We had four Coca-Colas, a couple beers. We had some wine. Over the course of maybe 14 hours, we ate uh, Napoli-style pizza. We got some pasta. We had calamari, shrimp, and octopus in a cup, like in a cone while we were walking around. We just ate all the things. And it was a wonderful day. Uh, we saw lots of sights, took lots of pictures. And then that night we went to sleep, woke up the next morning, and we were back on the plane and headed back to uh, New York. Nice. <laughs> wow. Some <Dumb> story. <laughs> well, let's go back to Club Med for a sec, uh, Dave. And I uh, wonder if you can tell me what are the three things you miss the most, because I'm sure over the years since you left, there must be something you miss. It could be in any order. It doesn't have to be three, but I was just curious if you had three. Absolutely, I do. Number one, first and foremost, forever and always will be the people. The GOs, oh, you could not ask for cooler people. It's like the universe was filtering out the most interesting, 
most attractive, most fun people in the world and sending them all to Club Med because everyone I met there was just amazing. And that's from the geo standpoint, including Chef de Village and everybody. The people, the GM, yes, not every GM was a stellar five-star person. There were some characters for sure. But overall, I loved going to the bar at 6.30. I loved eating dinner in the cafeteria, the, the main restaurant at eight o'clock every night with the guests, getting to know them, the relationships that were formed. Some of them were friendship, platonic. Some of them were romantic. I dated some people who both worked at Club Med. And then I dated people that were outside of Club Med and would come visit me. So first and foremost, the thing I miss is the people because just salt of the earth, the greatest people in the world were at Club Med. Next, I would say the location. There's nothing better than waking up in Cancun, Mexico every morning. And, you know, first thing, going out to have a glass of water on the beach and just sit there and watch the sunrise or watching the sunset from my DJ booth while I start up the disco, the location, uh, the beaches of Turks and Caicos, the, the snorkeling and scuba at Turks and Caicos. I definitely miss that kind of stuff. Next, so location, people, I would say the energy. Even though before Crazy Signs, I think we were all a little bit tired. You know, we'd all worked a long day and now we had to go get up and dance. But the second that the, those Crazy Signs songs came on, like um, Starlight or Ibiza or, um, oh boy, a Baila Baila Conmigo and Tomake, when those songs would come on, every GL would just get up and throw their hands in the air and take their shirt off, you know, Tomba La Chamise, where they take their shirt off and wave it around. The energy was just epic. And it was such a great way. It was like having three shots of espresso before starting your night at 6.30 or 7 p.m., whenever we did crazy fun. So the energy, the people, the locations, those are definitely my big three. Uh, there are other small things. You know, I really liked having my little casita, my little private space in Cancun. I do miss having essentially what you could call a beach house. Same thing in Turks. I miss having a buffet dinner every night where food was just, Yes. Magically provided for you, you know, boy, that was really nice. Now I have to cook or I have to spend money to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, and when I was working there, I'm happy to divulge my salary. I was making $700 a month as the DJ. And I was one of the higher paid people at 700 uh, and they got a raise. Yes. <laughs> yes, you were. The money was trash, but <laughs> the lifestyle, the energy, the amount of people you got to meet and the amount of experiences you got to have were so epic. And just to touch on one more fun experience and amazing memory, this one goes from Turks and Caicos. That day off group I told you about, the Tuesday day off people, mm -hmm. we chartered a plane from Turks and Caicos to Cuba. And we went to, uh, what's the name? Santiago de Cuba on a private plane. And it was a little propeller thing. And we just you know bought tickets for like 200 a person. And we toured Cuba for an entire day and then flew back that night on our day off. You can't do that when you have a job or kids or a regular life. We just got up and went to Cuba for the day. And that's how I kind of like to live my life. And that's one of my really, really fun memories. And that's the reason I get up and go for a sandwich in Naples. Or actually, this Monday, I'm leaving for France. I'm just going over there to see some friends. I think that Club Med really instills that wanderlust and that uh, desire to just go further in life and just do more things. And besides the, uh, the, uh, the managers you've already mentioned, uh, is there anyone else you enjoyed working with, like on your animation team or just regularly G regular geos? Uh, you know, oh boy, I could just go ahead and run down the names real quick if you wanted me to, sure. uh, for instance. I mean, right off the bat, today's August 19th. My friend Patrick Berkery, it's his birthday. And I well, we're first yeah, thing this morning. We're, we're, we're recording on August 19th, yes. So, <laughs> so yeah, he, exactly. You'll, yeah, you'll, you'll say, hear us after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Patrick Berkery, you know, he was the front desk uh, manager or the overnight front desk person at Turks and Caicos. And because fr front desk is very quiet and some nights I would just go there and we would play pool in the lobby all night long while we talked about how much we missed New York pizza and, you know, talk about New York and just reminisce. There was a girl named Enrica from Italy. And every time she saw me in her Italian accent, she would yell at me, Weja, Arora. Just that was her way of saying hello. I loved it. It was the cutest thing. Uh, my buddy Marwan, uh, he was uh, a chef uh, in the restaurant. In Cancun, I mentioned the, the chef de village, but I worked for Martito. He was amazing. Danilo from Italy, he's now uh, like a famous, I guess we'll say stand-up comedian with a group. He's called Il Quattro Gusti in Italy. Uh, he's doing really well in the entertainment business. 
Uh, there's just so many wonderful people across the board. And, you know, to try and name everyone would be impossible, but really just, oh God, the memories come back. I just wish I could have that group all together at least one more time for one more day at the beach. Can I ask you one more Clement question? Sure. You, uh, since out of Cancun and Turks, uh, was there one in particular that stood out to you more? Like, uh, was seeing as was it magical? Was it because your your first season Cancun? Was it that one, or you like them both for different reasons? Yeah, I would say I like them both for different reasons. They're such, you know, they're both adults-only villages in beautiful locations. But after that, they are very, very different in terms of both the the infrastructure you know, one being located in Cancun, which you could say is a major or smaller city, and the other one just being on the island. They were so different, but they each have their own positive characteristics. And to be honest, I really don't have many negative characteristics to say. I, I'm not a complainer. You know, I was living for free on the most beautiful beaches in the world with the most amazing people in the world. And I was getting paid very little, but getting paid to do it. How could anyone say anything bad about that? It was just a magical experience in Cancun for its own reasons and then in Turks and Caicos for other reasons. For instance, Turks and Caicos having the nicer beaches, the, uh, the, the more environmental feel, the more natural feel, and then Cancun for being the more popular destination and the more crowded village and the larger village, you know, with a little bit more of an urban feel once you, you know, when you left those club med gates. So, very different reasons, but amazing memories and magical moments for both of them, for sure. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, well, I just want to thank you uh, once again, uh, Wedge, for sharing your story with us here today. It's very kind of you for taking the time. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. And, uh, you know, I hope that all my ex-Geo friends are listening and, and they're following this podcast because it would be great to kind of freshly reunite with a bunch of them, whether it's Montreal, Paris, Turks and Caicos, Cancun, you know, I'll meet anyone anywhere. Just let me know what, you know, who's buying the first round of beers. Well, with your permission, yeah, I'd like to include the links to your, like your Instagram and TikTok, if that's okay. So people can look you up there. Is that okay? Or Oh, absolutely. And like I said, don't be thrown off by all the private jets. I'm really not that important. It's just uh, <laughs> knowing how to work the system. So by all means, look at my, look at my Instagram, look at my, uh, my TikTok for sure. All right. Well, everyone, that was Wedge from New York City. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Say bye, Wedge. Bye-bye, everybody.